It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 723. That's episode 723 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Hey, I have another excellent episode lined up for you today. Excited to talk to my guest. Joining me on the show is Doug Winter. Doug is the founder and CEO of Seismic, a San Diego-based company, as many of you know, my hometown. So if you know Seismic, then you're not going to be surprised that Doug and I are going to talk about sales enablement and talk about in terms of what it is, uh, who it helps, and how sales teams are using sales enablement to try to establish a competitive edge. Doug and I talk about how a main thrust of sales enablement should be about helping sellers educate themselves quickly about the buyer and the buyer's needs, and then assemble a content that answers the buyer's questions in the most relevant and expeditious way possible. And the thought being that if you have information about the buyer that your competition doesn't have, well, then you have a huge competitive advantage with that prospect. So we're going to get into this and much, much more today. Now, before I get to Doug, I want to take a quick second to talk to you about my sales growth planner, the Sales House Sales Growth Planner. Now, this is the ultimate planner and tracker for high-performance sellers. The Sales Growth Planner is built to help you identify your big, bold sales goals and then give you a step-by-step framework to enable sales achievement and the learning that needs to happen along with it to help you grow to achieve your goals both in this year and subsequent years. Now, the Sales Growth Planner is designed to enable you to act on your highest priorities and ensure that you are holding yourself accountable for your actions. It's based on a planning format that I've successfully put to use over my career to close hundreds of millions of dollars worth of orders, and the thought and effort that that you put into creating your plan using this framework will be repaid with interest at the end of the 12-month period. So, it's just one more step in the way that you can become the best version of you. So to get your planner, visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash planner. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash planner. All right, let's jump into it. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's great to see you. You're in my my town, San Diego, which I'm, I am. I'm actually heading for in just a little bit. And uh, like you said earlier, you're covering the fact that it's actually raining. <laughs> which, I am, yeah. Don't look out the window. It's raining. It's bad which, for San Diego. Yeah, which is disheartening uh, news for me because hopefully it'll be clear by tomorrow because I want to hop on my bike and get out and get a good ride in. There you go. So, um, well, we're excited to have you on the show. We're going to talk about sales enablement and Seismic certainly among the leaders in the sales enablement field and sales enablement is, you know, one of the hot buzzwords. But I think it's one of those words that <laughs> people attach all sorts of meanings to it and so I'd be interested in what your take is. How do you define sales enablement? Yeah, it's it's a really a great question. And, um, you know, I think the truth of the matter is that uh, you're absolutely right. It's a topic of a lot of debate and discussion. And in, there is, you know, in, in most cases, when you, you really want to get definitive about a definition for, for a word, you go to the dictionary and you open it up and you, you read through it and then you laugh about the ones that, that don't fit. But in this case, actually, enablement's not even a word in the dictionary. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a, we're doing a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek campaign right now. We call the you know, real problem, real word. Mm-hmm. 
try to get people to sign up. So we're going to petition the, the, the powers that be to have the word added to the dictionary. The Oxford English Dictionary, right? <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and most of the others. In fact, you go to Microsoft Word and you type it in, you get the little red, little dreaded red right beneath the line. Yeah. That's right. So I don't know what that says since there's something like 10,000 people now that have sales enablement in their job title uh, out on LinkedIn. So uh, I think the dictionaries need to catch up. But, yeah. Um, you know, enablement, I think it does mean different things to different people, but the way we look at it is it's really, it's, it's whatever technologies or processes or training can help make sellers more effective in their jobs, have them spend more time and be able to close more deals more quickly. And, you know, that can take a lot of different forms. And if you look at the technology stack, I think mean, we're all familiar with that MarTech stack slide. It has 7,000 logos on it that are you know, so small you can't really see them. Well, and sales tech's catching up. And if you, if you take a step <laughs> back and you look, at the, if you look at that, the biggest block there visually, the biggest block with the most logos in it is, is sales enablement. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is, is that uh, it's a space that the definition is still sort of being worked out. And so there's a lot of different tools and small features that are uh, being out presented as, as enablement. And, um, you know, our, our take on it and what we're really focused on is really around the content side. Mm-hmm. What, what we observed in the marketplace is that, uh, you know, it's, I think it's pretty well documented at this point that sellers show up uh, to, to your door. They're more educated than they've ever been before. They've self-educated on your website. You're talking about, talking about the buyers here, yeah. Sorry, buyers, right. buyers. Yeah. Buyers stuff at your door. They're more educated. They've, they've done research. They, uh, they've, they've read all the uh, crowdsourced reviews about your product. They've probably seen demos online about your product. You know, they've been able to do a tremendous amount of research before they really put up their hand and say, hey, I'd like to talk to a human being or engage with a human being. And so when that happens and they do finally uh, appear at your door and, and you're going to have a conversation with them, I think the burden on the sellers has gone up tremendously to be able to be more prepared, more educated about who they're going to be speaking with, who the buyer is and what their needs are going to be. And it's, uh, it's not so fair because you don't necessarily have that much information um, about the buyers. So you have to very quickly gather the information about the buyer. What industry are they in? What are they looking for? What solution stack might you be replacing or, or integrating with? Um, what geography are they in? What industry are they in? What role does a person play that you're talking to? You want to gather as much of that information as possible and then try to put the story together that's going to answer the questions in the most relevant way possible that that person is going to have. And so we're really focused on helping solve that part of the puzzle, which is how do you get sellers to be able to be quickly up to speed and have the right content assembled to have a, an intelligent conversation um, with the prospective buyer? So, well, let me ask a question, though, because this is something that comes up quite frequently is, okay, but how is that, how is the demand on the seller really that different than it might have been in the past? I mean, ultimately, you know, I sold for companies in San Diego area, some really large, very complex communication systems. Um, Yeah, we still had to converge at the same point with the buyer, right? That we had to be able to sell the value, sell the vision, sell the outcomes, yeah, that, that part hasn't changed. So, so what's different today in your mind than what you're seeing for sellers that's changed? 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's a couple of things. Um, you know, one is that that the expectation around the time and the amount of discovery time that's going to be given to to the seller has been, uh, it, you know, the, the demands there have been increased significantly. So if meaning somebody, less time is available for discovery, much less, less time is available. And so if your competitors are immediately jumping into a conversation that says, I know exactly what you're looking for. And I know a lot about you. And here's exactly the right case study and exactly the right story and exactly the right value proposition. Um, and it takes you a week or two weeks to put that same dialogue together, you're going to be at a big disadvantage. Uh, and I think the other thing that's happened is, is not really so much a change in what a seller is doing, but as an organization, companies are looking to scale. Everyone's getting a tremendous amount of pressure com- uh, from competition, from the marketplace. You know, you got to go faster. You have to do more with less. And so the old way may very well have been, let's take two weeks to prepare for this big meeting. And we'll pull the marketing team in and tell them, hey, this is what the story that we think we need to tell for this customer. And the marketing team will go off and spend you know, a week and prepare a bunch of stuff and send it back to the sellers. And the sellers will go, oh, not quite right. Let's try to iterate a little bit more. You know, and now it's, it's more a question of you know, how do all those things take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of hours. How can I do that in a more, much more scalable way so that I can scale my team up quickly? Um, I can onboard new people much more quickly without having to, to uh, you know, give them a year to ramp up mm-hmm. to learn all the, you know, where all the bodies are buried and, and all the sort of water cooler knowledge that, you know, just comes with time. You know, how can you sort of accelerate that process and do all of these things at a much bigger scale in a much faster way? Well, one of the the areas I was interested in, because again, as we talked about before, is just there's not a lot of good data on sales and what's happening in sales. I said we get the the right. data points from CSO Insights, Forrester, a few other people, but I mean they wouldn't <laughs> they wouldn't rise to the level of rigor of a clinical study for a drug or anything like that. Um, right. But just taking the data points that are out there, there's you know we are in this this. Golden, I call it the golden age of of sales technology tools that God, I would have loved to have had when when I was sort of carrying a bag in the prime of of my sales career. But when you look at those data points, they're not showing that the tools are helping us be better, right? That we see falling quota attainment rates, falling win rates, falling close rates, you know, in various studies. Um, so where's where's the disconnect? I mean, is it seems have we just not learned how to use the tools effectively? And I'm not think, just talking about sales enablement. I'm talking about sales engagement, ooh, yeah. and you know, I'm just talking about everything, uh, even CRM systems, even though they've been around for 20 years. So, what? Where do you think we're sort of missing the boat, perhaps, or what? What do we still have to learn? Yeah, I think it's um, it's a it's a fair question, and I think it's probably a combination of things. I mean, you certainly have. A, a tool stack that is still evolving very rapidly. Uh, you know, I look at just our own team. We have a, a hundred and some sellers now uh, at Seismic. We're a relatively small company still, um, but our own technology stack is changing very quickly. So we bring something in, we try it for six months or a year. We like it. We, we expand or we see a new different one that comes along. So many of these, and especially in the enablement area, are relatively young um, relatively immature. Maybe they're only solving a fairly, fairly small, specific part of the problem. Uh, I think 
you know, that uh, over time, the stack is going to consolidate. You're going to see less vendors doing more, mm. uh, you know, and that's going to happen as it, as it has in, in, in most uh, technology areas over time, kind of you know, things that used to be or, or that you would consider a feature become part of a platform. And it was sort of the, the, the whole stack evolves and consolidates to a couple of different vendors that can supply end to end. So I think some of that's going to happen as sure. things evolve. But I also think that, you know, when you, when you look at things like overall win rates, you got to remember that, you know, you're comparing probably companies against each other. And so it may be that, you know, in general, the win rates haven't improved significantly or quota attainment has improved significantly. But uh, I think the more interesting data would be those who adopt the technology versus those who don't. Um, and I suspect that would tell a fairly crisp story around you know, people that are adapt- adopting this, this, this sto- uh, the technologies are stay- staying around and staying in business. And those that are lagging behind, you know, are lagging behind and, and probably uh, failing. Well, but that's, which brings up an interesting point, though, and uh, which I don't want to get too far off the track here, but it sort of comes back as we talk about effectiveness and productivity and sales is, you know, in general, we sort of look at this sort of predictable revenue model that that has become sort of the Bible for so many people in in at least in the SaaS space, is has sort of created this environment where uh, it's based. Even companies are scaling quickly with it, and again, I'd contend they would scale quickly regardless of whether they're using this model or not. But um, it seems to be institutionalizing sort of bad performance in many respects. Right? Mm-hmm. Is because we. Yeah, we see so many SaaS companies, and I I was just keynoting an event a couple weeks ago in North Carolina where I had, uh, I had talked to lots of sales leaders after the fact. And, you know, they're carrying these pipeline coverage ratios. You know, everybody's obsessed with, you know, we have 5x coverage, right. which, which you know, if you have 5x coverage, you are going to, your, your win rates could be the reciprocal of that. Right. Right? It's just by definition. Yeah. Well, you can't, you can't sustain a 20% win rate. I mean, you, your yeah. sellers are spending 80% of the time. It's like to say, when you, in that environment, the only thing you're training your sellers to do is lose, right? If the thing they're yeah. doing most predominantly is, is losing, then you're training your sellers to lose. So, but that's oftentimes being driven by the tools because the tools are saying, look, we've made it really easy to put a ton of crap on the top of the funnel through our sales engagement platforms and so on. Yeah. And... And I've had conversations with CROs of sizable SaaS companies that, you know, their growth plan is let's just focus on putting more stuff in the top of the funnel, I'll hire more SDRs, and it's okay. We're only closing one out of five because as long as I put enough stuff in the top of the funnel. Right. But, but I'm like, whoa, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, have, not- you, have you ever thought about not doing that and working on increasing your win rate? And it's just not on the horizon for many of these, these sales leaders. So how do we change that? Yeah, that's a um, great observation. You know, I uh, it's it's maybe a perpetual uh, challenge between uh, between leadership, you know, executive leadership, the CEO, and, and the head of sales. You know, well, what are the quotas going to be? <laughs> target for the quarter, and well, we don't have enough coverage for that. And uh, I said, well, you know, it, it's we don't have enough ramped reps. Well, that's easy then. Just increase the quota per rep, and now we have enough over- coverage that overlap to to solve for it. And, they don't like that answer, of course, either. So it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting discussion. Um, what we really try to do is is focus on um, every step of the of the of the funnel. Mm-hmm. We look at 
top of the funnel. We absolutely do. And we track that from that from from marketing and we try as best we can to attribute leads, you know, qualified leads is coming in from marketing, even though we have a fairly um, uh, significant outbound effort that, mm-hmm. as well. It's sometimes different, difficult to uh, attribute, you know, sure. where they come from. But at the end of the day, I don't really care because no one gets paid on on leads or even opportunities. Um, but we try to we try to track all of those things to mostly for for improvement. You know, is it growing? Um, what's working and what's not working. And then as we move down the funnel, we really focus in on the conversion rates. And, you know, it's, uh, we, we, you know, you can only do so many things at the same time, but we try to identify where in the funnel we see the biggest drop off or the biggest opportunity to improve. We, you know, we use the data to help inform that decision. We rely on our guts and what, what we see and observe in the field as well to kind of tell us, hey, what we really need to do is do a first better job with that first initial demo, for example. Mm-hmm. So let's really put some effort into that. Let's train people on it. Let's go back and re- rebuild the flow and the talk track. Let's get some outside eyes to look at it. And then, and then we track it month after month, quarter after quarter to see if, it, if that ratio is improving. And, um, you know, it, it, depending on your business, it's difficult. I think um, we're a company that does a, a relatively smaller number of relatively larger deals. Mm-hmm. That statistically, it jumps around right. uh, from quarter to quarter, month to month, team to team. Right. Um, but if you look at it over a long enough time period, you can, you can definitely see, see trends. I think um, companies that have very high volume, high transaction rates, you know, can, can, can you know, more quickly see the, the fruit of the labor. There, but we really try to focus on you know each step and each part of the conversion. Be very aware of it and try to understand what it is we can do to to improve it. Because mm-hmm. I agree with you. That's you know filling the top of the funnel is is you know you're always going to want more if it's good. If they're they're good things to work on, but you know it can be a point where of diminishing returns or even negative returns where oh, hey, absolutely garbage in there that it's it's choking out and we're missing we're not spending enough energy on the good ones exactly well and that's that's precisely what's happening and it sort of gets to this idea of which i think is is part of the issue we're having with the tools in sales is that people haven't really sort of crossed this bridge to really sort of think about well just because i can do something doesn't mean i should mm-hmm. <laughs> you know just because yeah. i can use these tools to right. generate a massive amount of top of the funnel activity it doesn't yeah. mean I should, yeah. right? I could be more focused. So, well, let's go back to sales enablement. I, that's sort of one of my, my soapbox issues I get into about about win rates. But I mean, it ultimately, it comes back to win rates. I think even sales enablement because it's it's funny. It's one of the things that, and this could be a separate conversation we have another time. But is as I see too little focus on winning in sales these days. It's so much about the process, but it's mm. it's. Yeah, it's not so much about winning. And yeah, I'm writing more about this, talking more about this with, with groups and so on. Is, and it's, you can just see it in the way people respond to it. It's, it's, it's almost like an alien concept to them. And, but that is the ultimate point of why you're here, right? We can't serve our customers if we don't win their business. Right. I think it's, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's a very, um, again, very good observation. I think that, you know, my experience is a lot of companies are really focused, you know, they're really good at the sales motions and they're really good at winning the, the human relations and, and building the story and closing the deals. And, and then there's other organizations where it's all about the data and mm-hmm. you know, what does the data say? And um, I think we've, as a, as a society, in a lot of ways, have gone very heavily in the, everything's about the data direction. Sure. 
there's clearly tons of power and value there. Sound bites. But maybe we've gone a little too far. You know, maybe we need to make sure that we're, you know, we're coming back a little bit because, you know, as I, as I say, people buy from, from people. And uh, I think that especially where we are and, and our customers are business to business sellers. I think that's, that's absolutely true. They're looking for a relationship. They're looking for sure. a, a throat to choke if they need to. <laughs> you know. Well, and I think there's the flip side of what you said. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> people buy from people, but also we sell to people, not personas. And the, you know, the data works both ways. We get too focused on that data and we forget there's a person on the other side of that, that we're dealing with. And yeah, I, I look at win rates again without digressing too far. But you know, I tell people, sellers and sales leaders I work with, I said, you know, I can look at any deal in your pipeline that you lost, and I bet you I can trace the reason back to a failure in discovery and qualification. Yeah, and quite often, and it's like, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, it, yeah, it's not about you. It's not about the product. It's about you know, like. Focus back to that. And these middle-of-the-funnel activities that you know, we've got, we're so obsessed with our linear stage-based processes that we, we tend to forget that, as you said, there's a human on the other end and some very critical interactions in those early stages that really make the difference ultimately. Yes, absolutely uh, true. I mean, the, the product matters, the value and ROI matters, all of those things um, matter, but you can have the best product and the best value story and a competitor who does a better job of building trust and building a relationship and, mm-hmm. and, you know, winning the confidence um, of the buyer is, is going to win yeah. a lot of times. And, and so, you know, it's, it's one of the things I find uh, challenging about my role as CEO is I feel like I'm constantly bouncing around from, from role to role to try to dive in a little bit deeper. Cause the truth is you have to get better on all those dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just say, "Hey, let's just go make a better and better and better product, and no one's going to buy it." Right? Um, or let's just invest in customer success and you know really smother people with love, and and you know there's only so much band aids are going to help, and you know or just sell a bunch of stuff that ultimately no one uses because it doesn't work. That doesn't work either. Right. right? It's like all of those every dimension of the business has to continuously be improving and getting better. Um, and I think it's the same thing through the through the funnel through the sales cycle. So let's talk about sales enablement again. Is is sort of led off this idea? Is <laughs> one of the early top talk points was reading articles about people saying they have to make the business case to their CEOs yeah. for sales enablement. And you know, I, on one hand, I want to say, well, that should be self evident, right? Is <laughs> is of course you want to enable your sellers. So you know what's happening there? Why 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 is this? Why am I, I reading it, that this is a difficult thing in many cases for people to make the case for this? I think it, part of it is just comes down to the term and the fact that it's a new it's a new term and people mm-hmm. are like, wait, I don't know what that is. And there's definitely a, a, a segment of the population, probably myself included, that you know the next the next new buzzword that comes along, you know, insert eye roll, drone, <laughs> yes or whatever. Um, you know, suddenly it's, you know, there, it goes from, there's no one that's in sales enablement. There's a thousand vendors in sales enablement because sales enablement's hot. They're still doing what they did yesterday. They just changed the name. Changed them, right. So I think there's a little bit, there's a little bit of that, but you know, for us, the business case, generally speaking is, is pretty self-evident. You go to the CEO and you say, Hey, our sellers spend way too much time looking for content. They don't like what they find a lot of times. They need it in sales cycles. Everyone sort of understands that. There usually isn't any pushback there. 
Um, you know, when, when in the early days, when we would go out, we just talk to people and say, Hey, um, you know, we help solve the PowerPoint problem. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Come in. <laughs> That's literally all you would need to say because they all have it. They all know that they're drowning in too much content and the sellers can't find what they need. And, 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 and so you can pretty easily build a business case that says, well, they're going to spend less time searching and they're going to have better outcomes because they're going to be telling a more relevant conversation. Mm-hmm. All this money you're spending on marketing to get your messaging right and be able to tell those stories is wasted if you can't get it into the right hands of the sellers at the right time. And doing it the old way, brute force, you know, pick up the phone, call marketing and say, could you build this for me? It just doesn't scale. No. Uh, we have customers uh, who will definitely remain nameless, but they tell the, told us they spend several hundred million dollars every year building content for sales. Mm. And before we got there, only 15% of it, could they could they have a record of showing that it was ever used even right. once? That's what I was going to say. I'd, I'd read the number 17% at some point, but yes. And that was their own internal numbers, right? And they were kind of, you know, this was after we, we, we won the deal with them. And they were, you know, a little sheepish about sharing some of this. Uh, but it's, you know, it's not difficult to make a business case to say, hey, we're going to help you make sure that that several hundred million dollars that you're spending on content is being spent on the right stuff and prove that it's being used and that it's helping win deals and close the feedback loop around that. And you know what? You're probably going to find that there's 30 or 40 or 50 million in there that maybe you don't need to spend or mm-hmm. you could redirect to, you know, some other areas that are more effective and being proven to be more effective. You know, if you think about the tools that marketers have at their disposal today at the top of the funnel, it's unprecedented, the data. You know, if you, if you sure. breathe on someone's website, you know, that gets reported to right. the DMO in, in near real time. But once that opportunity gets handed off to sales, that data, that visibility uh, into what's happening is much, much less. You know, people go into a CRM, but they're really reporting, you know, most of the time they're reporting status. Here's yeah. how, what it looks like right now. And right. The, the, the history and what happened, a lot of that is, is takes the form of the emails, the conversations, the content that's shared back and forth. And there's very little, little visibility there. And if you're a marketer and you're being asked to reach down into the funnel and help sellers close deal, you feel like, wow, I, I, I throw it across the wall and then I'm, I'm blind. I can't see anything. I don't know what's happening. I think I know what should happen and I create a bunch of stuff to help. And then only feedback I get is screaming when it doesn't work. Um, I never hear it was awesome. I only hear screaming when it doesn't work. And I don't have, you know, I don't have data. Um, right. So, so that's really what's driving, I think, the, the, the development of tools like ours and, and why they're getting more popular. And, and generally, when you talk about it that way, you notice through that whole process, I never said enablement. Um, the CEOs and, and the executives, they get it. They definitely understand that. Right. Uh, if you go in and say, I need a budget for sales enablement, they're probably like, I don't know what that means. Or um, don't we already well, spend on training? Yeah, know? well, that's well. so I was reading a, a white paper on this, I don't know, six months or so ago about sales enablement from a, a you know, big research company. And they're talking about you know three legs to the stool, coaching, content, training. Yep. Uh, is that sort of just making the picture more fuzzy as opposed to focusing more on content that's used and you can track it to real outcomes as coaching and training you know you really can't yeah i think it's it is all inter, interrelated i mean it makes sense and, and you could you could bundle it in a different way 
you know, a lot of times we're selling in more progressive industries. We sell to sales enablement professionals in other industries that haven't really gotten around to having that as a dedicated role. You know, we might sell to the marketing team because we're really focused on managing the content or we might sell, sell to the sales operations team who's, who's, who's involved in kind of trying to make sure the right processes are being followed. Um, so, you know, I think at a lot of companies, they took the training capability, they combined it with the coaching, which is a pretty new, a new idea, at least the technology there is kind of a, a new idea, that mm-hmm. kind of coaching technology. And then they took the content management, which again is, is fairly new, the idea that content finds you instead of you having to go find it. So they're taking those things, they're putting them together and saying, okay, your role is to make the sellers more effective, more quickly, and you know have them spend less time doing non-value added tasks. Right. And, uh, you know, I think if you find the CEO that is familiar with the, com- the conversation and then uh, the concept and the, and the terminology, then the business case is pretty, you know, you don't, you probably don't have that conversation. I think it's the CEO who may understand the inherent needs of those things, but hasn't heard the term or hasn't heard it bundled that way. And it, it probably is raising their hand and going, okay. Out of it. So for your sales team, what are you doing to enable your sales team? Oh, we have, um, we have lots of technology. As I said, uh, I encourage our team because it's the space that we're in, mm-hmm. I encourage our team to push our technology as hard as it po- as we possibly can, but also push the, uh, the sort of the adjacent technologies as hard as they can. And so we probably, um, not probably, we definitely overspend a little bit mm-hmm. in the area of, of sales technology, because I think it's our job to make sure that we're, you know, observing what's working, which vendors are doing better than others, you know, how those things may integrate uh, with our product to to provide a better experience for sellers. Um, So we have, uh, you know, pretty much every category we have, we have a tool and some of the categories we have two tools. Um, Our team for using our own product is uh, very sophisticated and and very aggressive about making changes and trying stuff Mm -hmm. and works and if it doesn't work and, um, they work with our own customer success team to give them feedback. They work with our own product team to give them feedback for our own internal, our own internal beta users. Um, and they're, you know, they're great about it. They'll come back and tell us right away, you know, this is terrible. Um, bad idea. <laughs> don't hold this out to customers or this is, uh, this is awesome. Go faster, do more. Um, so we push that, we push that envelope pretty, pretty hard. It's, I think, a, a unique opportunity that, that we have. Well, so for sales leaders, you know, who are listening to the show is, is, so a question really about how they build out their own sales enablement capabilities because um, I went to the Sales Enablement Society meeting in Denver last September. I don't know if you were there. And and sitting in several sessions, it was like, wow. A lot of these people carrying the title of sales enablement, A, haven't sold. <laughs> B, we're pretty junior. Um, seems like it's hard to build a movement based on the back of that. So, yeah, what do you tell sales leaders in terms of, you know, what they should be looking at in terms of growing their capabilities in this regard? Yeah, I mean, um, varies a lot on the organization. Uh, again, the smaller organizations, um, you know, it, it, the needs there can be quite simple. Um, but uh, the larger organizations, I think they've all kind of come around to where they, they, they get it. They understand that they need to do better here and they've, They've solved the CRM problem, so now they're tracking things, and they have the data available that can enable you know, these kinds of capabilities. I mean, if you think about it, if you didn't have a CRM, if you didn't have a place to store all this data, 
be able to tell you about that prospective buyer, then you know you couldn't use. There would be no way to use that data to suggest here's the right content um, or to customize mm-hmm. that content, right? So it's a it's a big enabler. But a lot of companies have most companies now have gotten on the other side of that. So they, I think they all kind of see this as the next evolutionary step, and they're being pushed hard by their executives to do more to to do more with less. So uh, I need to increase the quotas on the people that I've I've got. I need to increase the attainment rates that we get. You know, we need to shorten sales cycles. And so they're they're pushing hard on that. All the holy grail. Uh, grail. Though we're seeing quota attainment rates go down and so on. I mean one (laughs) one question, because I think this ties to what yeah the whole enablement issue is that and it sort of gets to quota setting because somebody had asked me about this a couple of weeks ago at an event was, you know, I said, okay, have you ever talked to an executive that said, look, we're going to raise quotas 10% this year, but then has done an assessment and said, well, you know, we haven't increased the skills or capabilities of our sellers by 10%. So, you know, are we just perpetuating the cycle of, you know, more, a greater increasing number of sellers not hitting quota because, we're scaling quotas beyond their capabilities and we're not investing sufficiently in developing their capability, the seller's capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I get asked, uh, as a, as an entrepreneur, I get talked, uh, asked a lot of questions a lot of times about, well, did you ever imagine that the business would be, you know, this big and after these many years? And, you know, I said, well, it, it's really easy to create a spreadsheet model of your business and go, okay, we're going to grow this many percentage points this year and next year and the year after, and here's how many people we're going to have, and here's how many customers and how much revenue. And so you see it and you say, oh yeah, you've got you know 700 employees and $100 million of revenue, and it took this many years. And, and um, it's another thing altogether to actually experience it where you're sitting in a room or standing on stage and looking out and seeing 700 faces mm-hmm. running back at you or all the customers at your customer event. And I think the same thing kind of applies here. You know, I, if you manage your business, you manage your quotas, it's really easy to get to any answer that you want. Uh, you know, oh, let's just increase the quota by 10%. Well, that's a pretty arbitrary number. Why not right. 12? You right. do 12, it's going to look even better, you know, so <laughs> um, until the end of the year comes and you you didn't hit your quota. So, you know, I think um, it's it's kind of the same conversation that we had earlier, like use the data. The data can tell you things, but the data is not going to solve your problems um, all by itself. You have right. to take that data, understand what it means, be, uh, I think, aware of the blind spots of what maybe it doesn't mean, and then you know, and get better at your jobs. You have to have the sellers be able to tell a better story and mm-hmm. have a product that's better and you know, um, work on the right things and not the wrong things. And you know, all of that stuff has to also improve. And and I think, you know, enablement is right in the middle of that and in, in trying to provide, you know, on, on a couple of different dimensions, ways in which the sellers can can be better and where managers and leaders can can scale up, you know, those performance improvements. Perfect. All right, Doug, we've run out of time, but really appreciate you spending the time with us. It's been a great conversation. Uh, tell folks how they can connect with you or find out more about uh, what Seismic's doing. All right. Well, you can definitely find me on, on LinkedIn. Happy to, uh, always happy to uh, connect with new folks. And then you can come by our website, seismic.com, and, uh, and learn a ton about the product um, there. And um, uh, be happy to, uh, to give people demos and all that as well. So Perfect. really appreciate the chance. And uh, hopefully I'll run, out, run into you on the road out there on your bike in a couple of days. Well, that's be good. Are you a rider? Uh, I am. I am. All not, right. as, uh, not as much as I used to be, but... Uh, well, who is? 
but much, uh, <laughs> much work, not enough fun. But uh, yeah, well, and we're you all... recognize the water bottle, water bottle in your background. In your background. Uh, well, that's actually my Peloton bike right there that you're seeing. Uh, so, oh yeah, there we go. In crammed into my small New York apartment. So, anyway, Doug, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again shortly. Thank you. Take care. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Doug Winter. Join me again next week as my guest will be Jens Henschel. Jens is the London-based founder and managing director of the Fivus Partnership. Now, if you're in sales, if you sell to the enterprise, you're definitely going to want to catch next week's episode. Jens, because a very different topic. Jens is a senior procurement professional. As part of what his company's work is, is they work with enterprises around the world to help them improve the efficiency of their procurement efforts. He also consults with sales teams to help them understand how procurement works, how procurement terms, how procurement teams, excuse me, are measured, and about how a seller to effectively work procurement to have them help you close more deals. I mean, it's a very different take on things. It's a really interesting conversation. So be sure to join us next week. Before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House. That is the sales performance accelerator for B2B sellers just like you. Visit saleshouse.com forward slash join. We look forward to seeing you there. And also, thank you again for joining me this week. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>